Hi everyone, I'm Allie Stone and this is Discovering Hospitality. Now for most of my life, I've worked in the hospitality industry and even more specifically in restaurants. And in the past 15 years of my life, I've been a partner with the Original Joe's Franchise Group here in good old Edmonton, Alberta. And this has been such an incredible experience for me. Honestly, it's been a lifetime worth of learning and living that could have never been taught by any educational institution. And truthfully, it's provided me with the opportunities that I continue to deepen in my career as, as a leader and a coach and an entrepreneur. So if you're listening in and you're in the industry, you know that we have an incredible culture of people, stories, and experiences that don't often get shared with the world. And it's my hope that through this podcast, we can peel back some of the veil of our industry. We can peel back some of the layers of that onion, so to speak, so that the people we love that aren't necessarily a part of this industry can start to learn and see why we all love it so much. Now, this industry is all about people. It's about connection and it's about love. And if you don't love the word love, that's totally okay. Maybe interject the word care, but it truly is about connecting. Now, we have a saying in our organization, and it's that People make the world beautiful. And I've been so lucky to be a part of that for so many years. And now I have this incredible opportunity to share some of the amazing stories of our industry with the world, with all of you, our listeners. It's my hope that these stories will warm your heart. Uh, They might make you laugh. And they might even be stories that make you cringe or think a little or change the way you see things. It's my mission to help all of you see how incredible hospitality people are and how committed they are to taking care of each other and other people. So without any further delay, let's dive into this week's podcast. I'm not even sure where to start introducing (laughs) <laughs> this week's guest. He is a longtime friend of mine, uh, 10 years, at least a decade. And uh, he's been in my life in, in so many different ways. Now, um, I'm, this is Jeff Tetz you're about to hear. He's the CEO of Results Canada. And uh, last year when everything kind of transpired with this pandemic, he uh, launched a new initiative in Results called Unleashed. And he's been bringing different leaders on to uh, talk about their their thoughts, their their books they've written, and their thoughts on leadership. And it's been very good. And he's been super successful. He loves to give back and he loves to take care of the community. And that's where Jeff and I are probably the most deepest connected. Um, and you'll hear that in this podcast. So I will turn it over to our conversation now. I hope you enjoy it. And Jeff, thank you so much for being my guest. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Allie. This is amazing to be with you today like this. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time to be with me. I'm, uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what our podcast should look like, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. 
So, so I. I think I think we need two though. We need like a G-rated and an R-rated. That's kind of <laughs> what I was thinking. So today's the G-rated version is what I understand. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I'm okay if you swear, but you know, like let's try to keep it a little bit on the G-rated side. <laughs> um, do you want to just share with the listeners a little bit about your story and kind of what's brought you here in front of me today, how we kind of got connected? Yeah, sure. Well, the the timing of this is interesting because I'm about to celebrate my 10th anniversary of being in this results business. And uh, you and your team and Chris and Tim play, you know, factor prominently in my journey getting here. And then even in this sort of journey being allowed to uh, uh, persist. So I, I would I would suggest that without you in my life, I don't even know if I'd be doing this anymore. That's how instrumental you were. Uh, in the early going, which which we might might cover a little bit uh, today, but I I think in a nutshell, Ali, like my whole um, my whole life has been about trying to get people to do something they didn't want to do. So sort of coercing and convincing, whether it was convincing my friends to play street hockey or volunteer for something or just get involved in something, I've always been sort of persuading people to do things and bringing bringing people together. So that's kind of what I do do now is uh, I'm part of a team that's just really curious about what separates high performing business teams from all others. And we just help them get good at that stuff. And along that path, of course, I met one of your uh, one of your business partners, Tim Gordon, when I was in the real estate development business. And it wasn't long after that, that I jumped into the back of a limousine in uh, in June of 2010. And you and Chris were there and we went off to, I think, like the Glenora Grill for some really <laughs> obscure fundraising night. Pretty and, much the weirdest uh, night I've ever been on in my entire yeah. life. <laughs> well, and it was so funny because I got to know Tim quite well at that point. But if you would have told me after that night, after everything that sort of happened that night and how just weird and peculiar it was that uh, that you and Chris were going to become two of my sort of best friends in life. I would have, uh, I probably would have questioned that. And, and so, uh, you know, so uh, our, you know, our relationship has evolved over the years uh, uh, since then. And it's just gotten stronger and stronger for, for, uh, for a number of reasons. But uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to, to look back on the early genesis of how we actually met. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to bring up that night in the limo. That was like the weirdest, the weirdest thing ever. Um, I remember Tim was like, hey, I have these tickets. <laughs> to this event like literally that day and I was like ah, like really not even sure if I was gonna go and it turns into like this insane night <laughs> so you know things there's always a story everybody's got a story <laughs> that's a good place for ours to start you know it's a good place to start developing a relationship yeah it's interesting too you've said that to me a couple of times Jeff and I often think how much we've both grown in the last 10 years and how much things have changed in our lives and how much, um, you know, while we don't necessarily work together, we're on a lot of parallel paths, right? And we're both very interested in a lot of the same things and we're curious about the same things. So I think those kinds of things have definitely brought us together. But there are also really amazing things that have brought us together that I want to talk about today, too, um, more on a, on a personal level and on a, on a contribution level. But to start with, I thought we could start talking about Santa YEG. So this is your, we call it a charitable organization. Is that how, how we would describe it? Yeah, I think you could call it, yeah, I'd call it anything you want as long as it's a positive <laughs> adjective. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, a, a volunteer, I think a volunteer organization is a, is a pretty appropriate way to, uh, to describe it. 
that's a good way to describe it for sure. And so um, I'm curious if you can share the story of Santa YEG and how that all started and how that came to fruition out of your mind and into a real living and breathing thing. Sure. Well, this is interesting. So I was when I was when I was thinking about some of the stuff that you might ask me, I actually think that Santa YEG started when I was about eight years old. And I used to dress up as Santa Claus at our family Christmas functions. And somehow, I mean, this is uh, this is something for my sisters to uh, sort of uh, wrestle to the ground. But I was able to convince my sisters when they were you know, four and five years old that I actually was Santa Claus. So I would come up with all these elaborate costumes and little tricks like I would even get my friend to go outside uh, uh, and and put a red flashlight up to the basement window and I would point and say it was Rudolph's nose. <laughs> And they would, they would believe it. And uh, I would hand out these gifts. And so this is probably two or three Christmases I dressed up in the probably the worst Santa outfit, homemade Santa outfit you, uh, you could ever could imagine. And I, and I think that that really just sort of fed my love and my, my passion around Christmas. I, I mean, I know I'm not alone in this. I mean, who doesn't like Christmas? I know there's a few, but uh, this just became a silly, really in 2014, a silly idea to create a Twitter persona called Santa YEG. And all I was going to do was actually just brighten people's spirits at Christmas. So I started following people like in November of 2014 and People started to talk about it and say, oh, my God, I just got followed by Santa Claus. And then and then it and then it quickly became a partnership between you and me. And so we were we set up all the original Joe's locations as drop off depots for Santa's Anonymous. And so we 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 collected an obscene amount of toys in a short amount of, of time. I remember getting calls like even from Sarah at Ellerslie saying like, I okay, I've got like literally 500 toys. And uh, who's coming to get these? I'm like, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be right over kind of thing. And, you know, figuring out a way to do that with, you know, garbage bags and taking them down to the drop-off depot. And it's just evolved since then. And most of the serious things in my life started from very immature things in my life. And it sort of catches on and becomes contagious. And then somebody probably smarter than me with, with more purpose, which in this case is you, then has a different idea or, or, a, or a way to make it more impactful. So then in 2017, you and I were both wanting to reach out to each other to collaborate again. And you beat me to it. So I remember sitting down, uh, sitting down uh, in Terwilliger. And you had uh, sort of this concocted this idea to kind of combine a couple of things. So you were already doing delivering compassion where you would make meals and go down to some of the inner city and literally just hand out fresh, hot meals to people. And, and you wanted to, uh, to do that together. And so at that point, I think we were trying, we had, I think we'd set a modest target that if we could deliver you know, 500 meals or something like that in the first year, and <laughs> we ended up doing modest. like 8,000 meals. <laughs> And we got volunteers together for three months to come and make and deliver meals. Like that was, that was hard work. Like I have so much, I have so much, uh, so much admiration for people to do this like every day of the year. Like we did it, we did this for a quarter of a year, the first year. And we were exhausted by the end of it. I know. I know. And it's kind of, you know, I kind of, it's sort of sad to say that on one hand. Right. But, but it was a lot. It was a lot of work, but we did like 8,000 meals. And I'm let sure- me, Let me just interrupt you for a second though, because this was funny. You're like, we started off with this like modest goal. And I think that was me because I didn't want to overcommit. And then you 
would call me each week and be like, what if we just made it a thousand next week? What, what if we just made it 2000? What if we just like tried to get to 10,000? And I was like, oh, Jeff, you're killing me. Like, <laughs> no, I don't know how to do this. And then you just like, you just made it happen. It was awesome. And that's I what like, I do. Like, that's what I recognize. And I have to be very yeah. careful about that. So Allison Fregale, who is a research psychologist uh, out of uh, out of uh, Chicago, she teaches at North Carolina, but we have brought her in for a number of leadership talks. You have met her mm-hmm. and uh, she calls me the nibbler <laughs> <laughs> because she says, whenever she says yes to something, she knows she's actually saying yes to way more. And so she has to be really, really careful. And now I kind of recognize that I, I'm the kind of personality that if you just give me a little window, I'm, I'm going to like take as much as I can. And, and so I got to be very careful about that. So as long as it's like for good reason and good intent and someone's going to benefit from my nibbling, then I think everybody sort of wins. But I just got to make sure I don't burn people out. I know there were some contentious moments for you and I that year. Nibble away, Jeff. Nibble away. So, yeah. So, I mean, like it turned into this crazy, crazy thing in 2017. And I think even in uh, 2018, maybe even more so, um, it really got legs and uh, really, really took off, in my opinion. I think in my memory anyway, obviously our memories are always a little subjective, but I remember 2018 being the year where I was like, holy crap, like we're, we're making a difference. This is, we're, we're making a difference in people's lives on the streets. We're making a difference in people's lives that are volunteering. We're making a difference in the community. People are taking note. Um, I was a little, I, I was a lot humbled by that experience. Um, what was that experience like for you that, that year? Yeah, well, I think it, I think it's just really opened my eyes up. So number one is to how many people are struggling. That's, that's the thing. I mean, it, because you were already, you were already doing this. It's not, it's, it's the thought of actually delivering meals into the inner city and, and not even just to shelters, but into back alleys. And I remember even like peeking under cardboard boxes and tarps and and blankets and just asking people that are huddled with their families in 20 below weather if they just wanted some soup yeah like that really just opens up your eyes into a different world that exists but then within that world the thing that really strikes me is how kind and considerate they can be to each other and that's not always the case i mean there's there's lots of there's a lot of things that happen in those communities and there's factions and and uh, and 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 groups that sort of band together like you know to do harm to each other as well but there's more good than harm i think and and to watch people that are hungry themselves actually decline a meal because there's somebody else they think could use it more than them that's unbelievable and then even just to see the generosity of complete strangers that come out to help and and i think one of the things I like about it the most is I hope that it's just an enabler. It's, it's just such an easy way. Like most people don't really know. They, well, most people, I think, want to give back and they don't just want to give money. They actually want some kind of an experience. But I think for all kinds of reasons, it's hard to do that because you don't know where to go. You don't know maybe if it's going to take more time than you have to give. And so we do it in a very non-judgmental way. So somebody can come and just give back and have an experience for as little as 90 minutes Mm -hmm. and they feel good and it gives them a chance to dip their toe in the water and i hope that 90 minutes turns into nine hours which turns into nine months which turns into nine years 
and a whole generation of kids that grow up volunteering because of something that we've helped to create. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up volunteering. Like that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. (laughs) It wasn't something that was like bred into my family or what we did. Um, so it took me getting into my adult years to start to really understand the power in that. And I think if we can connect youth with that, there is an incredible, incredible potential or possibility that exists for the next generations. And those messages are always perpetuated in some way or another, it will evolve to what they also think is beautiful. And so I think, um, you know, you're like always kind of just planting these seeds, right? And um, I heard it somewhere, but, you know, gardeners don't often get to see the full result, right? You don't always get to see the true tree fully come to fruition. But when you're planting these seeds, it's it's still such a beautiful, fulfilling thing. And I would also say about, you were talking about the food and people giving up meals. I saw that a lot with the clothes too. So I would show up with, you know, this, like my Jeep just full of clothes. And, you know, I remember one day a woman walked up and she was literally awake, like wearing nothing. And it was like cold minus 25 or something. And uh, she had a long sleeve, but just like one thin layer and, you know, shoes with holes in them and everything. So I remember saying like, just take whatever you need. And she's, and she turned to me and she said, I will only take what I need. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And that was just like, really, that was a really impactful, impactful moment for me. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know the uh, just those moments of unscripted connection that just happen because that's just how human beings are, yeah. even even in the most significant struggle and hardship, personal hardship, people can still find a way to be kind to another person. It's pretty remarkable. It's it's really amazing. It's it just makes life so wonderful. So why, why has giving back become such a big part of your life, Jeff? Why, why is it something you connect with and resonate with so deeply? Yeah. So I, I think it's an interesting question because I didn't, I like, just like you, I didn't really grow up, at least not that I can remember being exposed to a significant level of volunteerism and philanthropy as an example, that just wasn't sort of part of, um, you know, part of what, uh, what we did. But having said that, I'm not sure it's as big a part of my life as it should be. I, I think we can all do more. And I, the more I do, the more I want to do, I think. So, I, you know, I think that's an important piece. But I think, uh, I think that I've gotten to a place in my life where it, it's, I think I'm just really clear that my position in life is largely attributed to two things. It's that I've been very lucky and that I've been very, very fortunate uh, that a lot of people have helped me along the way. So I think when you recognize that you're very lucky to be where you are because of the help of others, it naturally, whether you want to like the law of reciprocity, it just makes you want to give it back. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's a big part. I, mean, I also think though, that I recognize like the only sustainable antidote for my own personal despair is to help other people. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, you know, life, life is hard for everybody and it's hard in different ways. Right. And I think that we've learned that, uh, in the last, you know, in this last, um, nine or 10 months struggle is relative and we all struggle and, uh, and, and it's, and it's all valid, but it's very relative and it's very different. But I, I think, um, when I'm the happiest, it's when I know that I'm looking externally and I'm making a difference for, for somebody else. And then I think the people that I admire the most in my life, like I, I have a real need to want to sort of measure up 
and earn my earn my seat at the table. And so when I'm hanging around with people who I deeply admire, love and respect, like for you, you as an example, are one of those people. I want to I want to be worthy of your friendship. And part of that is is uh, is embodying some of the things I admire so much about you and other people. And uh, and so that that's been a big influence, too. I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by people that beat me to it. And I'm just trying to catch up. <laughs> well, I think you're doing a good job of being right in the thick of it with everybody, Jeff. <laughs> um, what do you feel? What do you feel like the world is most in need of right now? You know, you're <laughs> talking about, <laughs> I know, fully loaded question, <laughs> but you're talking about, you know, the last, the last 10 months, the challenges, um, how it is relative. And I totally agree with you there, but what do you think? What do you think the world is in need of as we move maybe out and through the last phase, hopefully, of this pandemic? Yeah, so my response to that question has changed dramatically because of what we've experienced in this pandemic. And uh, if you would have asked me a year ago, I would have said more kindness and more compassion. Uh, now I think what we need more than ever is comfort and disagreement. I think that we have to learn how to express the things that we believe in from our own unique perspectives with I think a lens of curiosity in most places and in most cases, but start to get more comfortable that not everyone sees the world like we are, uh, like we do, uh, and like you do. We all have a very different lived experience. And if we can embrace that discomfort, that is where some of the gold and some of the magic uh, resides. Uh, There's no way we're going to get to some of the places we need to in terms of solving some of the big societal problems, some of the systemic problems that we have, if we just dig our heels into the existing beliefs that we have. So we're going to have to be willing to discard things that we've always thought to be truths that we realize are no longer truths, that we all have blind spots. And our opinions on the world largely are just based on our own unique experiences. And uh, so comfort with disagreement uh, is, is a big one. And I think if we can sort of plunge headfirst into those conversations, that, um, that that's going to help. Now, there's another thing, too, that I think is a bit more pragmatic, and it's just sort of the, the, the widening of, um, of income gaps. It, it sounds like before the pandemic, there was some fair, no, fairly strong amount of optimism that we were sort of closing some of these um, some of these poverty gaps and some at least on a global on a global scale. And I think that it, they've been set back considerably. There's a, I, I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago, uh, a leadership guy out of uh, San Diego named Mark Crowley. And he had an interesting take on it, kind of using Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it really, it really resonated in it. I think coming out of this pandemic, like if, if you've got your, your basic human needs, your food, water, shelter, security, safety, if those are met for you coming out of this pandemic, it's going to be incumbent upon that group of people to do more than they've ever done to help those that have not. Because uh, there's a different kind of struggle. There's the struggle just to sort of stay, you know, to stay mentally sharp and resilient. But that's if you have your basic needs met. If you don't have a house, if you lost your job, if you lost your business, all bets are off. And those people are going to need way more help. All of these organizations that fight poverty uh, and injustice are going to need more money. And there's not as much of it to go around for governments as an example. So we're going to have to dip in. And if you give a thousand bucks a year somewhere, can you give two? And so that's the kind of difference, for example, I think we're all going to have to be prepared to make going forward. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, being in hospitality in an industry where uh, our team makes minimum wage in, in cases or lower wages, 
um, I've seen that, right? And, uh, you know, we've tried to find ways to care for them uh, through this pandemic as well. But it's been, it's, it's really challenging because it feels like a constant game of catching up. Where does this all start to smooth out when we start to figure out how we can really help, how we can really help impact change? Because I, I've been having these thoughts as well. It's very interesting. We didn't even talk about this before the podcast, but like, what does this look like beyond this? And how can we truly, because I want to believe that we went through this to grow, right? And to come, you know, (laughs) to grow through whatever each of us needed to grow through, but to come to a place where we could begin to come more together as human beings and not move further apart. I hope that's my hope (laughs) for the world. Right. So, but I still don't quite have my finger on how, where that, where that support lies, at least for myself and um, how to do that. So I've definitely got my ear to the ground about that. So it's very interesting that your brain's rolling around that right now too. Do you have an idea of how you plan to support in the future? Well, it's a good question. And I, and I don't think it's, it's easy to answer for a lot of reasons. Now there, there's, there's sort of one school of thought where you could say like, there's a, there's this phrase lift where you stand. And so just make the impact that you can in the way that you can in, in your, your immediate environment. And, and so I think, I think that that for sure is something that we all should be looking to do is just small little impacts. And the combination of those, I think can create quite you know, large waves of momentum but there's this other part now, though, that I'm still trying to figure out, and, and it's more of these uh, these unwinding of systemic challenges. So if you want to talk about being uh, in part of the Indigenous community and trying to figure out how reconciliation is going to work, that's going to take more than just sort of lifting where you stand. And, and, I, and I think it's going to take sort of banding together with people that are further ahead uh, than we might be on sort of the educational piece and, and looking for ways to actually join systemic uh, combating of some of those um, of some of those challenges and it's not easy and I've just been relying a lot on people that are again are way further ahead on that than I am and I think what I'm recognizing now there's if you really believe in in helping to fight some of the systemic challenges that the world's facing is you're going to have to be prepared to take on a lot of personal sacrifice and you know me being a white male I check every privileged box that exists and so uh, for me that's going to have to mean putting somebody else in front of my own my own needs and and an opportunity that I might I might have capitalized on before taking advantage of I maybe don't because I want to help somebody else get a hand up instead and so I think I think the paradigm is that short term there might be some different kinds of sacrifice that somebody like me makes but I think the belief is longer term we're all going to win in the end and those are those are uncomfortable decisions for people to make let alone admit you have to make them Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and I mean you talked a little bit about beliefs but when we believe we believe something we believe it (laughs) right and so it can be really easy to get kind of stuck in a pattern Um, And I think, you know, it's been really important for me this last year to keep encouraging myself to step back and, and, and detach and be like, okay, if I was so-and-so, how would I potentially perceive this situation? Right. And I think that those are the thoughts. If we're having those in our heads, it's just going to continue to move us in the right direction. We're not always going to make the best decision. We're human, (laughs) but I think it's, I think it is the right direction and the right intention you know 
Yeah, well, and I think a lot about the way the brain is naturally wired, and it's it's we're still we're still working with the same operating system that we had when we were you know, living in caves, mm-hmm. and our brains are designed to sort of keep us safe, right? And and it doesn't really work so well anymore, and so we're we're always just looking for things that confirm what we already think to be true, and with social media, it's it's easier to find confirmation bias than it is to to find sort of contrarian viewpoints or to spend time with people that we don't agree with. And the, the moment on social media, someone doesn't like what you said, that's when anxiety strikes and, and it just causes you to lash out, get defensive and find reasons and support and evidence of why you're wrong, you're right and they're wrong. And that's what kind of what I'm coming back to what I said before about getting comfortable with people disagreeing with you. And, and a big part of that is intentionally surrounding yourself with people that have different viewpoints. And, and hopefully a point where you, those conversations don't have to be cordial and respectful because, you, you know, you sort of talk about tone policing there, which I've been guilty about way too many times. Um, but people that actually care enough about you that they want to engage in those different conversations and share those perspectives and really push and challenge each other so that we can stretch our thinking. And that's not easy to do. Like you really need to want to, you really have to want to seek that out to spend time intentionally being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that community that you're talking about and those people that you surround yourself with, that also has to be reciprocal. So you have to be selective about that. You want to engage in that. I don't know, what would we call this psychological safety almost, right? You want to engage in this. You want to learn from it. You also need to surround yourself with a group of people who will challenge you, but who will also respect what you're learning and growing through and work on that with you, right? That's how we grow. together and as a community so yeah yeah. I think you know I I think a lot about you know hopefully we're all lucky enough to live a long full life and uh, be naive to think that everybody we know is going to Uh, but when you know when you're about to take your last breath I don't think you're ever going to regret you know stepping on a landmine that caused you to learn like I even had a situation last week where I made a comment on Twitter and it was perceived as as insensitive and rightfully so to a, a, a certain group of people and I, I didn't mean to infringe on their perspective, but I, I did. But what, what came out of that is I had three or four conversations with people I never knew before. So I actually picked up the phone and we had phone calls and conversations that started on Twitter. I learned something. It was really uncomfortable because I, I want to be liked by people. I want to do good in the world. But I think, you know, stepping into things and stepping into some messes, that's good for all of us. And you're not going to regret it when you're older. You're only, you're probably going to regret the ones that you didn't get mixed up in because you know, it would have been a more enriching experience as long as you're not intentionally, you know, trying to, uh, to ruffle feathers just for the sake of ruffling feathers. Yeah. Yeah. This is an enriching conversation right now for me because I've been spending a lot of time uh, diving into Amy Edmondson's work. And uh, (laughs) I feel like we're just like totally on the same wavelength. Just funny. Um, Okay, well, that's awesome. I love it. And I I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on it. So, you know, we kind of like went into this podcast, and we were talking about how we met each other and how this kind of all came to be. And I know you know a lot about our organization. And so this, this podcast, this, this podcast wasn't even really supposed to exist. It was like uh, when we shut down uh, for COVID, actually this time last year, and I said to uh, Tim Gordon, I said, we need to find a way to stay connected with the team. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And somehow, I don't even remember, this podcast idea came out and I said, 
okay, I'll just do a couple episodes, <laughs> interview a couple people, keep us connected. And then it turned into this, well, like, where's the next episode? And where's the next episode? Now I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I'm kind of hooked in. And you know what? I love it because in uh, a year of so much challenge and disconnection and easily uh, separated, this easy separation, I've been able to reconnect with so many people that I might have not talked to a lot this year. It's been such an incredible experience. So I like to talk in here a little bit about people make the world beautiful because I think this is such a nice heartwarming piece of the podcast. It's a reminder that we there's common humanity, that we're all in some way inextricably connected. We're all kind of in this together. So I always ask my guests to share a story about how people make the world beautiful. So I was wondering if you would like to share one with the listeners today. Sure. I had a question for you before I answer that. Oh, though. sure. What has your relationship been with self-doubt and doing this podcast? <laughs> well, there's another loaded question. <laughs> uh, well, I, I struggle with a lot of self-doubt, Jeff. I'm not sure if it's uh, my personality or who I am. Um, I go through a lot of imposter uh, syndrome with it, for sure. Um, I often think, who am I to ask Jeff to come on this podcast with me? Um, <clears throat> so I wrestle with it for a while. <laughs> and then I tell myself, I just need to be courageous. Courage is one of my values. It's something I know that's really important to me, because if I didn't believe in courage, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be able to get where I want to get in my life and do the things I want to do and be with the people I want to be with. So without accessing courage, um, I'd be in trouble. But yeah, I just, I sit with it and I try to work through the process. And I think that, um, you know, there's been some of these podcasts that are not great, <laughs> right? Like I didn't, you think about the evolution from where this started a year ago to where it is now. I com I ask completely different questions. <laughs> I focus on it completely differently. And um, it's interesting because now I own that. So um, I don't think the self-doubt will ever go away. Uh, but I think that uh, it's an important signal for me that I need to lean into my value of courage. Yeah. Is that a good answer to that question? Yeah, that's a wonderful answer. There's no right or wrong answer, just yours. But I know I'm just always, it's a, it's a topic I'm fascinated in. And it's just been so fun to watch you evolve in this format in the last year. It's, uh, it's really been neat. So yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for answering that. <laughs> thanks, Jack. Yeah. Okay. So let's circle back to our uh, people make the world beautiful. So I'm so excited to hear what you're going to tell me. <laughs> Sure. Well, this was a really easy, uh, this was, uh, this is a super, this is the easiest, probably the easiest question that, uh, that I've been asked. And, and, uh, and so my people make the uh, world beautiful stories about you. And so I mentioned at the start of the podcast that I'm almost about to celebrate my 10 year anniversary with results. But if we went back 10 years ago, and two months, I had just got fired from my job. And that's the first time I ever got fired in my life. I was working in real estate development and the market wasn't going so well. And I was a, uh, I was a casualty of that. And I, before I took that job, even I was on this path of wanting to become an NHL hockey coach and easy to say, hard to do. So I had gone from this dream of, of being a professional hockey coach someday to then working in real estate development and not really sure that that was even my calling and, uh, and then getting fired. 
And so I was really at a crossroads in my life and I was, I was actually really lost. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was looking at all these options and I even was about to take a job selling shredded bins to companies. So I was going to be going door to door in industrial areas in the West End, light industrial areas, trying to convince them to buy shredded recycling bins. And there was a big shift for me. I, uh, I, I was with you and, uh, and your sister Jillian at Earl's downtown and uh, telling you about sort of what had happened to me. And I was really sort of struggling on what to do. And you looked at me and said, well, don't worry. If you can't find a job, we'll give you one. And so I had never worked in hospitality before. And I'd never been a bartender, but you said you'd give me a job. And so my whole perspective on the job search changed in that moment where I didn't feel desperate. that I had to just go find the first person that would hire me. And so what happened a few weeks later is I was introduced to a recruiter who then introduced me to a group from Calgary that had a, a coaching business called Results. They were expanding into Edmonton and they were looking for somebody that fit my pro that, you know, that was sort of that fit my profile and the rest, uh, as they say, is history. And, and, uh, and so had you not said that to me, which was just a passing comment, because that's just how kind you are. You just look after people. Uh, you don't really care if they're qualified to do the thing you're about to look after them with, but you just trust they'll figure it out. But that's just your heart. That's just who you are. And, but that completely changed my outlook. And I don't know, I don't know if I would have this job if not for that five minute conversation at Earl's that day. And so I will never stop being grateful for how kind and generous you were to me in that moment. And uh, just really means a lot to me. I don't even know how to respond. To that. It's uh, crazy how that is like, you know, how people make the world beautiful. Like we just come show up with love. Like I had no in intention and I was never going to give you a bartending job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I totally would have. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why, Jeff. Because you have the heart. You say, I just offer this to anybody and no, we'll figure it out. No, I offer it to people who, who have heart, who care. You can train skill. You can't train personality and attitude. And so you would have excelled at it and we would have got you to where you needed to go. That's what you needed to do. And you would have had a lot of fun doing it. Trust me, you would have enjoyed all of the young women around you. <laughs> well, I like to think if I, if I had gone the bartending path, I would have moved somewhere like Fiji and, and sort of did the Tom Cruise cocktail thing and met Elizabeth Shue under a waterfall. Your life might've been very different right now. <laughs> Maybe better. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that is so kind. I don't even know that I can take credit at all for that, but that is so kind of you to say, Jeff. Thank you. So nice. <laughs> Um, okay. You've got me all flabbered. Um, okay. So anytime I do one of these, uh, podcasts, I do a lightning round. They're meant to be kind of like off the cuff, whatever comes to your mind. So no preparation, what comes from your heart for these questions. So are you ready? Did you have help putting these questions together? Had a little bit of help. Yeah. Had a little bit of help. So <laughs> just I'm for nervous. my husband, I just consulted one person. <laughs> so, and you'll know off the first question. <laughs> where his input was. So first question, uh, loofah or bar of soap? Now, before you answer this question, <laughs> I'm supposed to let you know that my husband knows that the answer to this question defines how clean you are. So in the shower, do you use <laughs> a loofah or a bar of soap? 
Oh, I definitely use a loofah. Oh my so goodness. do I. He's so mad at me. He's so mad at both of us. He thinks a bar of soap is so much cleaner. <laughs> I disagree. Nope, definitely. I got. I actually use two. I've got one on a long <laughs> handle so I can get to my back. And then I've got the handheld one. So it's kind of like the loofah on a wand for my backside mm-hmm. and the handheld loofah for my front side. Very nice. And so do you use both at the same time would be my second question. <laughs> That I'm not there. I don't have that level of coordination, but I I might try that tomorrow. <laughs> the dexterity. <laughs> I know that you're a huge Patriots fan, a huge Pats fan, but I'm not going to ask you where your allegiance no. lies now. But okay. That's, right. that's too complex for me. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do want to know is how Tom Brady has helped shape you to become the man you are today, because I know you love him. I do. I do. Now, I had this amazing privilege of interviewing Michael Lombardi on our Unleashed series back in June. And he actually coached alongside Brady. He won a Super Bowl, two Super Bowl rings uh, with Tom Brady with the Patriots. And when I asked him about Tom Brady and what sets him apart, he, he used a term I never heard before. And he said, what Tom Brady has that nobody else has is competitive stamina. And I love that. I love that. And you could, you could sort of equate that with Angela Duckworth and the work that she's done on grit, but that is the number one thing I try to emulate of Tom Brady is I don't want, no one's going to outlast me sort of like the concept of no one's going to outwork me. And we might lose in the short term, but long-term you will not have the stick new it stick to it. It is to, uh, to keep up with us. That's my thing is just, and it's not even a compet a competition with somebody else as much as it, as it is with myself. And, uh, but having somebody to emulate like that, that's the thing. And, and, and then I think partly just, you know, how he carries himself and we can get it, we can debate that. I mean, when you're, when you're that successful, you're, a, you're definitely a polarizing figure, but there's a class that he carries himself, a discipline. He seems to have uh, several areas of his life where he excels, seems to be very clear about what he values and who he values in his life and what he stands for. So, uh, and it's not, it's not blind love. There's some things I wish he, he, you know, he didn't do or some different decisions I wish that he'd made, but there's a, there's a, there's a lot to like there, at least in my opinion. Yeah. I find him very inspiring actually. So, yeah. and, and, and Chris, my husband would too. Yeah. <laughs> we all find him inspiring. Like it's just, he's, um, what was the book? I read a book. Oh, the four agreements was like recommended as one of his favorite books. And I remember reading that book. It was, uh, Ruiz, uh, was the last name of the author. Anyway, this book was fantastic. Like it was, and it's just like, it was very much uh, a little bit of an understanding into where his thought process may go. So, um, if you haven't heard of that book and you're listening, it's a great book. It's a great read, nice short read about the agreements that you make in your life. And it's about you. And I just thought that that was just such an incredible, that's the book he's recommending, right? That was, yeah, that's, that spoke volumes to me about him as well. And that was such a weird thing when that happened. I think you're right. That's, that's a, that's good recall because that opened up a window into his life that nobody had seen before. It's funny Mm -hmm. about that book. One of the, one of the most life altering experiences that I have had was working with a coach, a personal coach, a life coach back in 2004 that was like in the first couple of weeks I worked with her, that was the book. She said, go get this book. Don't come and see me again until you've read it. And so I read it all. And I read it in like two hours in one sitting. And I was like, wow, that is something. And if you could just live by those four rules, 
how much better the quality of your life would be in and of itself. It's, it's amazing how much power there is in simplicity. Love that. Yeah. It's a game changer. His son wrote a book called wisdom of the shamans shamans really good too, Jeff. You should check it out one day. Anyhow, I'll give you your last lightning round question. So a little, a little more on the serious side, but I'm wondering what's the most, um, how would I phrase this? What's the most important lesson that you feel you've learned in the last year of your life? So I, I think it has to do with being more capable than I have ever given myself credit for before. And so this is um, good timing that we're doing this 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 podcast because it's literally the first week uh of the one year anniversary of the first week of the pandemic and when the pandemic first um started to happen like everybody else we didn't know what to make of it we were the the the, the emotions that that we were experiencing together as a team are things that we've never experienced before but I, one of the things that we did was send out a daily update to our entire team. And I've been sending out those updates this week, every morning in memory of what was happening last Tuesday at this time, last Wednesday, a year ago. And it's remarkable how fast we went from fear uh, to action, how fast we went from thinking about the impact to ourselves to thinking about how we could help other people like what felt like a month was a day like literally a day in the first 24 hours of the pandemic and so I I think what I learned about myself is that I'm capable of staying level-headed in extreme duress and I wouldn't have guessed that I I had spent time as our business has grown I spent more time the last few years worrying about business decline and you know business disruption and business loss than anything else. And then in the face of the most catastrophic loss you can imagine, we were able to actually find strength and resolve. And there was a lot of, there's a lot of aspects of this pandemic that I have absolutely loved. Uh, A lot that I haven't, but there's a lot that I've loved. And I think it's just learning that I'm stronger and more resilient than I would have guessed I was before we went into it. Mm -hmm. I love that answer. I think that's great. It's uh it's very self-aware. And I think that that's, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Um, all right. So I think we'll wrap this up. (laughs) We're just getting started. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I know you have another meeting. So I want to ask you one more question. I just, I would like to know if there's any kind of message or yeah, anything you'd like to leave with the listeners, um, of the podcast, anything you'd like Thoughts on Jeff Tet's brain. <laughs> Words sure. of wisdom well, for the closing. Sure. There is a quote by Vincent Van Gogh that I recently came across that I just, I just love. I love, I love, I love. Uh, this would be like the billboard thing, right? If you could put it on a billboard, what would it be? So the quote from Vincent Van Gogh says, um, if you hear a voice within you that says you cannot paint, then by all means, paint then that voice will be silenced. And that's my motto for life. We all experience self-doubt, unless you're a complete narcissist. We all experience that voice that says you're not good enough. You're not liked well enough. You're not smart enough. It's a stupid idea. Every person on the planet faces those voices. 
And you said a value of yours is courage earlier. If we can just for some reason find the courage to overcome our self-doubt, that unleashes our unique gifts to the world. And so every day that you let that voice of fear and self-doubt win, not only are you preventing yourself from a richer life, but you're actually quite likely preventing other people from a richer, fuller life. And so you owe it not just to yourself, but you owe it to your community, your friends, your family, people that you'll never meet, that you have a chance to impact for all the right reasons, if you can just get out of your own way. So that's my, if any, you know, whoever's listening to this, I know you have an idea. I know you've got something silly that you wake up at four in the morning saying, oh, geez, you know, I, I, I think that, I think that, I think that that's a good idea, but how would I do it? Should I do it? And then you wake up, you know, later on at eight, nine in the morning. And then that's when the voice kicks in logically in your brain and says, no, no, I'm too busy. Not smart enough. Not enough friends, not well capitalized enough to do it. No, that's all BS. Find a way to do that thing that scares you. And I think your living proof of that alley is a whole, a whole new experience of life opens up for us. If we can overcome that fear. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. I'll share a little secret with you. I often have the 4am wake up call. And for most of my life, I ignored it. And now I don't. I'm like, get your butt out of bed and write this down. (laughs) Like I'm pretty serious with myself about it. So it's, it's a real thing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And this whole pandemic for some people has been an incubator uh, know, of experimentation of just that, those silly ideas, like your podcast, the unleashed thing that we do thinking mm-hmm. that, well, there's not going to be enough of an audience. Nobody will care. Nobody will tune in. No one's going to watch, but they do. Mm-hmm. And even if what you try fails, it leads to the next thing. Like these are not, these do not exist in isolation. They're all connected. Even if it looks like it doesn't work, it's going to take you someplace different from what you learn. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart with me today, Jeff. And yeah, thank you for being my friend. And thank you. Yes. Thank you for everything you've brought to my life. Yeah, we have a, a great friendship, Ali. I just admire uh, and care about you so much. Uh, and Chris and you know your whole sort of extended family. So this is uh, a real, a real privilege to be able to spend some time with you like this today. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Another week of discovering hospitality and one more amazing guest on to share their beautiful stories. Thank you so much to all of you, our listeners, for your continued support. The success of this podcast is totally because of all of you, and to that I owe my deepest gratitude. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend. And as always, don't forget to rate, leave a review, and subscribe to this podcast. I love hearing your feedback. And remember, the world is always made more beautiful by people like you. Don't ever forget it. Until next week, take care, everyone, and we'll see you then.